Thank you for listening to The Rest is History. For bonus episodes, early access, ad-free listening, and access to our chat community, sign up at restishistorypod.com. That's restishistorypod.com. The education of a boy, wrote the Greek historian Herodotus about the Persians, will begin at the age of five and finish when he is 20. But in all that time, he will only ever be taught three things. How to ride a horse, how to fire a bow, and how to tell the truth. Well, the thesis of today's episode of The Rest is History is that actually the Persians taught a lot more than that. Actually, in fact, that huge amounts today, even in the 21st century here in the West, that we take for granted, that it derives ultimately from Persia. Um, And I guess this is a thesis that may not seem immediately obvious because the Persians don't really tend to occupy the kind of outsized role that other ancient civilizations do in the popular imagining civilizations like the Egyptians or the Greeks or the Romans. But um, speaking for myself, the more I've studied antiquity, written about it, thought about it, the more I've come to think that Persia is like some great kind of underground spring from which infinite numbers of rivers and streams when you trace them back over the course of the centuries and the millennia turn out to have sprung from um dominic as a a modern historian i don't know whether you would accept that i mean i guess even the iranian revolution of 1979 is slightly plays that role doesn't it i think absolutely does tom i think actually when you we in the west sort of tend to forget a little bit about iran and particularly we're fixated in the 20th century on russia and china i suppose as the sort of antagonists of the west but Iran, the Iranian Revolution of 1979 seems to me one of the great foundational moments of the contemporary era. So it's the moment that, you know, the, the rise of the Ayatollahs of radical Islam and then the, the way in which that was exported and, and Iran's sort of status as, you know, this, I mean, Iran talks of the United States as the great Satan, but in many ways, Iran has been the great Satan, hasn't it? For the secular West ever since 1979. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and I think that for lots of people, if you say Iran, you tend to think of of um, women shrouded in black veils and old men with long beards wagging their fingers and saying yeah. death to America, and and perhaps that can obscure the way in which Persia is one of the truly great, rich civilizations of the world. Yeah, I buy that. I buy that. We 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 have, we have someone who I'm sure will agree with that. Well, um, somebody actually knows Ali- about it. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, Ali Ansari, who is um, a professor of Iranian studies at St Andrews University, no less, author of a very short introduction to Iran. Ali, thanks so much for coming on. Um, I guess that you would agree. I mean, I, I know you agree because we've talked about it. This idea that essentially everything comes from Persia. <laughs> yes, yes, everything comes from Persia. You you would be happy to go along with that. Well, I mean, you know, I I, I think that the you know the Iranians or the Persians. I mean, we can, we can discuss about the, uh, the the terms that we use. Uh, I mean, basically think that their contribution to you know human civilization has largely been underrated for the. Uh, uh, you know, and, and largely ignored. And uh, precisely, I, I think, as, as, as both of you have said, because the, the prism of looking at Iran has been really via the Islamic Revolution of 1979, it's very much coloured our understanding and it sort of uh, permeates everything we think about Iran. Whereas actual, in actual fact, of course, Iran or, or, or the Persians um, are 
you know, have so much more to offer, I would say. I mean, can I ask you a question? Sure. Um, I talked about Iran. Tom talked yeah. about Persia. That's right. Are they the same or are they just, are they wow. two different things that happen to have been in the same geographical location or is there a continuity? No, there is a continuity. And I think, you know, my great, hopefully my great achievement, uh, if I have one as an academic of Iran, is to finally convince people that actually Iran and Persia are indeed the same thing, certainly in the, in, in, in the Western record. So, um, when we're looking at uh, Iran, Iran is is the name actually given to the country and the territory, the political territory, or even the culture, if you will, by the indigenous peoples. Persia is really, as Tom will, will know, is the sort of Greek Roman sort of rendition and the reflection of 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 of, of, of a particular of a particular people or tribe of Iran. So, if you look at a hierarchy, I mean, there's there's rather a good um, uh, quote. Um, uh, ascribed or uh, attributed to Darius the Great, who basically says that I am an Archimenid by uh, by family, uh, a Persian by tribe, and an Iranian as a uh, in terms of my my peoples. So there's a sort of a a, a, a a tripartite division, which works quite well. I mean, obviously, you know what he means by those things back two thousand two and a half thousand years ago is, is is obviously vastly different to what we might understand today, but. Nonetheless, it, it, it offers us an insight on how those on, on how, those, how those relate, and I think far too many people, uh, Western historians, in some ways, uh, confuse the fact they sort of think that Persia is a, is a different place to Iran, and that Iran sort of basically was invented in the 20th century, uh, and most Iranians would be horrified at this, and most uh, most travellers actually, most Western travellers who went to Iran in the modern period by the modern period dominic i mean you know from the 17th century onwards yeah yep, um, yep, yep. <laughs> yeah in the 20th century uh you know all recognize this i mean they all say in their text you know the people who we call the persians call themselves iranians so i think i think that's very clear and i think for the avoidance of doubt before we go forward to our top 10 hits in a sense uh i should also make clear that the term iranian has nothing to do with the 19th century you know, European racial connotation of Aryans and this sort of thing. I mean, it, it's it's uh, right. it's basically a linguistic distinction, a linguistic definition that that comes out and is and is basically applied. I think, and Tom will probably correct me actually on this, but uh, I think you know, for many Iranians in a in a sort of historical basis, major bit. I mean, Iran simply meant as the Franks do, basically, you know, noble born, free born, this sort of thing. So it's it's nothing, you know, it's it's it, it's really little more than that. Um, well, Ali, what? On the topic of, of how exactly we define Iran or Persia, mm. um, could I um, quote something from that great scholar of Iran, Ben Affleck? Uh-huh. <laughs> um, <laughs> Tom, you found your level. <laughs> ben, and ben says, uh, yeah. Persia is very different from the Arab Middle East in terms of architecture mm. and language, even though we think of them as one big Middle Eastern area. In truth, Persia is quite distinct. Gosh. So, yes. what a great geopolitical <laughs> mind. <laughs> let's just, but, but let's just tease that out because, of yeah. course, per- Persia, Iran, whatever you want to call it, is this great upland plateau. That's right. And you've got the Zagros Mountains, and then you go down the Zagros Mountains, you're into the kind of the flatlands of, of Iraq, of Mesopotamia. Mm. Uh, what, 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 what it, historically, what's the relationship been between Persia and the rest of, of the Near East? Well, I mean, historically, I mean, if you look at the, the Iranians or the Iranian peoples, uh, as we describe as a sort of a, um, let's take them as a linguistic grouping. I mean, obviously, they have a distinct uh, Iranian language affiliated to an Indo-European uh, heritage, which means that actually the language that the Persian language, not to confuse matters, but the Persian language spoken by the Iranians is basically much closer to the European languages that, that, that we speak. And you see that in sort of mother, father, you know, brother 
مادر پدر برادر this all so it's it's actually quite interesting in terms of that linguistic distinction and of course um the iranians uh, occupying and having three sort of major imperial empires um prior uh, to the rise of the arab muslim caliphates of the 7th century meant that they had a certain presence in the middle east i have to say long before the arabs So just, just just give out those three empires. Just give us a span of the ancient history. So basically, uh, if you look at, to give us some sort of chronological parameters, um, we have the first Persian empire, which actually is the empire that most people in the West would be familiar with, um, which is the Archimedes Persian empire, uh, which is the one that covers, you know, everything from Greece over to the Indus and down to Egypt and so on and so forth. The ones that lose at Marathon. Well, <laughs> yeah, but, but win at Thermopylae, if I might say so. Yes, it was. Uh, That's, what, yeah. that's like Cyrus the Great, Darius, Xerxes. Yeah, okay. Xerxes, all the people that, you know, uh, we, we know from our biblical and classical experiences. And, and uh, we'll talk a little bit about, more about them, I'm sure, afterwards. And, of course, the quote you gave from Herodotus. I mean, I should remind us, you know, of course, Herodotus is technically a Persian subject, isn't he, Tom? So, I mean, he's a bit of a renegade, <laughs> yes, he but he's, uh, <laughs> but he's uh, you know, he's, uh, he's uh, and the father of modern, of, not modern, but the father of history. Um So uh, that's the first empire. And that, that's the empire that lasts for about 200 years and is basically overthrown by Alexander the Great. And we can, you know, also talk a little bit about Alexander's legacy in the Persian world. Uh, not all positive, you won't be surprised to know. And then subsequent to a sort of a Hellenic interlude, you then get the rise of a new uh, dynasty, which in the Western uh, lingo we know as the Parthians. And the Parthians are actually the longest lasting of the dynasties, quite decentralized. Um, again, occupying much of the Iranian plateau. And it's with the Parthians that you get the first sort of contest with the Romans and the Roman Republic. Um, and then the Roman Empire, obviously, subsequently. The Parthians last from about, you know, 250 BC to around uh, 250 AD. Um, and then they are subsequently uh, succeeded by probably the most influential of the pre-Islamic Persian empires, certainly as far as Iran is concerned, and that is the Sasanians. And the Sasanian dynasty... Uh, claims a much longer uh, heritage on the plateau and lasts really then until the mid-7th century, until the overthrow by the Arab um, the Arab Muslim armies. But it's the Sasanians that really set the scene far more than the previous dynasties, in actual fact. They're the ones that compile a sort of historical yeah. record. They're the ones that actually give the name Iran to that political territory. And And if I was to say my first first, if I can put it that way, is that, you know, there is a suggestion, which I'm sort of happy to accept, really, not entirely uncritically, but certainly accept, is that, you know, Iran is one of the, if not the first, territorially defined political unit that has a, a degree of continuity to it from the uh, period of antiquity to the present. So the Iran that is set up by the Sasanians, the empire of Iran, is basically, you know, the sort of cultural territory Uh, if not entirely the political territory, because it was bigger, it is bigger, obviously, than, than what we have today, uh, that we find in, in, in modern Iran. So Iran is the first country. Well, I mean, that would be the claim. I mean, obviously, when we get into it, you know, Iran, from, as far as the Iranians are concerned in historical purposes, is the, is the first kingdom. I mean, it's the first dominion of man over nature. So, um, but that's largely, you know, obviously part of the mythical heritage, but it's one that... Uh, um, Iranian nationalists are very, very keen uh, to promote. Some, some of the... Some of the uh, Uh, some of the chronology goes really quite uh, uh, 
quite far back and wholly unrealistic, but I'm happy to sort of uh, chat though. You know, they say it's not just two and a half thousand years. I mean, let's, let's get it back further. You can sit down and talk to a number of Iranians, you know, and we can extend back. There, there was quite a famous account actually in the early 20th century when a nationalist uh, historiographer, which I always find quite entertaining, uh, calculated the, the, the length of the kingdom of Iran going back through the mythical great epic poem of of, of Iran, the, the Book of Kings, and he calculated that the uh, the the length of the kingdom could be traced back ten billion years. <laughs> and, and, yeah. and, well, and, and obviously, someone years. else pointed out this predated the creation yeah. of the world. You know, so I mean, these are things <laughs> that puts the Romans in their place. I know that's right. So I mean, if you accept that, then everything does begin in Iran. Obviously, I mean, <laughs> but Ali, obviously, what complicates the picture in terms yeah. of the continuity? Because clearly, there is this incredible sense of continuity, sure. and the, the last Shah of Iran famously had. Yes great celebrations at Persepolis, the great Chaimanid capital, and he jetted over cooks from Paris and kind of great extravaganza. And then, of course, we know what happened to him. And I suppose what complicates this picture of continuity is that the Sasanian Empire in the 7th century collapses before the Arabs. And they introduce Islam. And to what extent is Islam... Um, a, a radical rupture and to what extent does Iranian culture come to an accommodation with Islam and there is a, a genuine sense of continuity? Well, I mean, my favourite phrase in all this and always always to disarm my uh, Arab colleagues is to say, you know, captive Persia took prisoner her conquerors. Uh, I've never actually known who actually said that first, but I'd like to sort of lay claim to it. But it's uh, essentially this notion that there have been a series of ruptures in Iranian history, clearly from Alexander the Great all the way through. And you get the Arabs are obviously and the Muslim conquest is a very uh, serious, almost, you know, psychological ideological rupture obviously and bringing a new religion a new calendar so on and so forth but then also you have the mongol invasions of the 13th century that are particularly devastating on a socio-economic level but in all three cases i mean you find this sort of cultural confidence of the uh, persians and i'll use those terms interchangeably now in order to really confuse our audience but the <laughs> the, the, uh, the um uh, that that sort of Persian cultural confidence comes through. And with the Arabs, what you find is that the Iranians basically take Islam and turn it from what is essentially an Arab religion into a global universal religion uh, in which, you know, non-Arabs are equally valid. And therefore, So, So, Ali, what you're saying is Islam is actually Persian. Well, there are some, I think that would be pushing it a bit, to be perfectly honest. But there, are, there are a number of people in Iran who would certainly claim that the, 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 the Islam that you see today in terms of a global uh, universalist religion is really something which has been uh, de-Arabized and... Uh, Persianized. Yes, I mean, to some extent. I mean, why quibble? But it's uh, that's certainly one of the views. I mean, I, I wouldn't necessarily, I have to say, subscribe to that, but have a, it's obviously a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a religion adhered by all. And that's the argument. Of course, you see that with Shiism as well and other things. But um, you see it also with the Mongols. Iran is the only part of the Mongol Empire that basically absorbed the Mongols within Persian culture. In China, they expelled the Mongols, you see, but the Iranians somehow just absorbed them. And you still, you know, and you still see lots of traces of the Mongol uh, and Turkic conquest in Iran. Ali, you've given us this huge list of things <laughs> that you think 
that Persia basically invented, that for which we should be getting down on our knees and groveling before the Persians. Uh, in well, I, I wouldn't go that far. We're very magnanimous. No. I mean, I, I prostrating I ourselves before the great prostrating king. ourselves. Yes, yeah, of no, I wouldn't want you to. I wouldn't want you. I, ju- I just think that you know there are a number of. I mean, the one thing which I think you should acknowledge um, is that basically, you know, Persia is the midwife to the West, isn't it? I mean, there would be no yes. West without the Persians. Okay, so so Ali, on that theme, yeah. you've prepared a list of, of what of yes. top ten things that the Persians have given the world? I mean, I, I have to say I felt very restricted by 10, but uh, let, let <laughs> there look to me, there look to uh, me to be more than 10 on this list, Tom. Yeah, because there's, there's, there's certain subsets, aren't there, really? Basically, Ali has come prepared for 10 podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, we how long have we got? We've got, what, five minutes left? Ten minutes, I guess, for, for this half? <laughs> We're going to rattle these off. Right, so, yeah. so let's kick off. What's, what's your first selection? Well, I mean, I... I, I think we can. I think we can start with that sort of issue of of of, of Persia being the first kingdom, and and uh, basically the, the the as as and I will I will I will elicit here the support of that great great uh, German philosopher uh, Hegel uh, to remind us that history begins with the Persians. So our understanding of history as 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 a progressive movement in a sense of enlightenment, if you will, is is really begins with the Persians now like all good historiography, that we don't like to quote the next clause that uh, Hegel puts out, that, you know, it starts with the Persians and then left them. Um, I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't want to, uh, you know, use his next phrase. Let's stick with the first part. But I think, you know, this idea of Iran as the first kingdom, the first dominion of man over nature, the first place where history begins effectively. And, you know, as I was saying to Dominic earlier, this territorially delimited state in which is also the midwife in a sense, in an ancient sense, uh, to that concept of the West. So, it's interesting, as you both said, you know, we don't have this notion of, of, of Persia as a great civilization in the same way as we have with the Romans and the Greeks and even the Babylonians or Egyptians, to be honest. But uh, nonetheless, we are there as best supporting actor. And I would like to move us from best supporting actor really to center stage. I think we should be getting the best actor award, frankly. Ali, did that all kick off with um, Cyrus the Great? Was he the person who basically created Persia? Uh, yes, depending who you talk to. I mean, I, yes, I mean, I think in, 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 in the popular understanding, the father of the nation, as, uh, as was noted, is basically, uh, is Cyrus the Great, who, who basically binds the Medes and the Persians together into the first of these Iranian empires. And the, 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 uh, this Persian empire from, you know, 559 BC to when would it be, Tom? 333 BC, something yeah, like that. Classic. Uh, the collapse, that's the first of the Persian empires, which basically establishes, and I, you know, I would but, add to that, the first universal empire. Yeah, I, so I completely agree about the idea that the, the Persians are the first people who formulate their imperial rule as something universal. That's right. And, and indeed moral, that it reflects yes. the kind of patterning yes, of the absolutely, universe. Absolutely. But just slightly to play devil's advocate. So Cyrus yes. the Great, he, yes. his fame is, yeah. is immense. And yes. he's famous because he is hugely praised by two people who he conquers. One of them, the yeah. Greeks. And the Greeks think he's the model of, of, of a great man. That's right. And the other, of course, the Jews. And yeah. the, the Jews in the Bible. He's, he's the Messiah. He's the anointed yes. one. Um, praised as such by Isaiah but the, the, all we really have from the Persians is kind of tomb inscriptions so in what sense are the Persians inventing history when they're not actually writing it down in the way that the Greeks and the uh, and the Jews are well that's a that's a, that's a very uh, yeah that's a very uh, interesting point you've made there Tom um, I think uh, <laughs> um, I think that uh, the main thing is that we have to understand is that um, one of the contributions to uh, 
history that I think the Persians make is uh, is if you understand the way in which history is written. I mean, one of the things that, uh, you know, are, are sort of mythological narratives and what we might call historical narratives. Uh, the Iranians, certainly after the Hellenic period and uh, into the Parthians and the Sasanian period, tend to sort of write a history that is... Largely mythologically based. I mean, they they derive a, a mythological narrative of their descent. Now, the interesting thing with that is that certainly the Archimedes tend to sort of get erased from that that history in a in a in a, in a very detailed sense. But they do exist in in in, in the mythological narratives. They are there. And the figure of Kurosh, um, in uh, which is the Persian for Cyrus, uh, does appear in a number of these mythological narratives. He is, however, somewhat demoted. Uh, in that narrative under the sort of the, the, the world kings that exist. So there is a historical narrative. It's just not a historical narrative that we would recognize, but it's a, it's a, a, a very profound historical narrative that is more mythological in a sense in its construction and full of folklore uh, than the history, you know, the, the, the history we would have in terms of, 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 of the discipline that we would understand it and you, we collectively would understand it. But I, I think it's just a different type of history, if I can put it that way. I'm trying hard but uh, hopefully you will accept my argument. <laughs> Ali, take us through some of the things on your list, um, uh, the things that you think the Persians... Well, I mean, I, I, I think there are a number of things that I've sort of tried to divide. So if we look at... Um, uh, I've sort of dealt with, the, I, I suppose, the political side of it, but there are other things that I think are quite important. Um, uh, some of the contributions to religion. I mean, we mentioned about the Persian contributions to Islam, obviously, but I think the Persian contributions to religion and religious thought have been pretty... Uh, impressive um certainly through zoroastrianism and zoroastrianism was the the pre-islamic religion of, of of persia or iran and zoroastrianism provided a number of ideas um i know i'm going to get some pushback from tom but uh let's no you're it. not i completely agree i completely agree <laughs> you know in terms of i mean some fairly sort of simple things well things that we take for granted today of course which just shows how effective it's been this notion of the end of times for instance and a spiritual redeemer these are quite zoroastrian you know and then they're sort of bound in with that sort of Judaic heritage that sort of uh, then uh, come come through in Christianity. Yeah, I mean, because we should say that the the, the the people of Judah, of Jerusalem, get taken by the Babylonians to, to Babylon That's and right, sit yes. by the rivers of Babylon weeping. So the, the Jews are in the Jews are in captivity in Babylon and then basically released. And then Cyrus lets them come back. Yes, yes. Which is why the Jews love the Persians. Do they come back with Persian ideas then? Is that what they say? Yes, the argument? yes, that's the idea. That's the idea. So Judaism is Persian. No, That's no. Your- I mean, I don't, I don't worry. You know, let's not let's not exaggerate to diminish the effectiveness of this argument. I mean, the, the, uh, because uh, you were. I, I'm a stranger I, I, to that. Tactic. Yeah, no, don't do that. No, because I mean, I, I I think the interesting thing is if you look at two biblical. Uh, uh, texts. I think it's the uh, uh, the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation. They they carry some fairly strong sort of Zoroastrian uh, tropes and, and ideas in there. I mean, obviously, these are things that uh, scholars far brighter than me will be dissecting and interrogating, looking at these texts. But if you but if you look at the the uh, once the Jews returned from the Babylonian captivity, and of course the main point is, is a lot of them didn't. A lot of them stayed in Mesopotamia, which is the heartland of the sort of Persian Empire, and imbued a lot of these ideas and, and sort of produced them. But you can see uh, Zoroastrian ideas coming through, and there's even parts of the text where they sort of say there are words that are being used that are clearly Persian. Um, but the whole notion, for instance, of uh, there's a great concept in Zoroastrian eschatology of a sort of a dragon king. Uh, the end of days. Yes, in the end of days. And... Um, 
although the end of days has a certain circularity to it, but nonetheless, yes, uh, sort of end of days, a sort of great dragon king that is then overthrown and whatever, and then you have peace and justice, uh, as one might hope. And uh, the dragon king, in the way it's described in Zoroastrian texts, is has strong similarities, I should say, with the beast in the book of Revelation. Um, mm. So it's 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 quite interesting now again none of these are definitive but um in, in in as you know what would be an ancient history really but uh or any history for that matter but uh nonetheless i think it does make for quite a strong case that there's a yeah. huge i mean one of the things that i think the persians have been extremely good at exporting if i may say so is religion and religious ideas and the whole idea of, of the world being divided i mean herodotus was saying that the persians get taught truth and that, of course mm. the counterpoint to that is the lie the, lie, and the yes, sense absolutely. of the world divided into good and evil and That's light right. and darkness yeah. is obviously hugely strong so i think we could we could chalk up that the persians have invented empire history um judaism christianity and islam so that's not bad so i think we should probably yeah, I, i'm not take, i'm take... not gonna go i'm not gonna go into judaism christianity and islam <laughs> okay i'm well, gonna say they made significant contributions okay it's too late it's too late it's done yeah, yeah <laughs> I, I hear you i hear yeah, you uh, yeah. so so um let's let's leave it at that and we'll take a break and when we come back um you'll have some more i think possibly including gardening so let's yes. see you then I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Katty Kay, U.S. Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics U.S., brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. It was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? <laughs> well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii. Okay. And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy, too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics US wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, welcome back to The Rest is History. Uh, with me is Dominic, of course, and Ali Ansari, who is talking us through basically why the Persians have invented everything. Um, Ali is, is giving us his list top 10 things that the Persians have given the world. Um, we've already had empire and we've had religion. Um, so, Ali, what, what's next on your list of top 10? Well, the other thing I, I, I think is very important is that, you know, the Persians invented paradise. Uh, but I suppose it needs a bit of qualification here. Um, 
really the idea of a walled garden, uh, a walled garden that's a planned, you know, and structured garden. This is uh, something that's very closely associated, actually, with the figure of Cyrus the Great, who uh, archaeologists have discovered had a rather spectacular uh, sort of walled uh, garden at his uh, capital in Pasadagai um, in southern Iran. And, of course, this uh, Persian uh, affection, shall we say, for the natural world, I'm going to make a claim here, actually, that they're really the original environmentalists, by the way. So yeah, you can see where I'm go. going. By, by that, um, yeah. You know, the Green Party really did start in Iran. The, um, uh, but the, this sort of uh, affection for, for the natural world, gardens, the sort of the order and beauty of the natural world, I think is something that's, that's very closely uh, associated with the Persians throughout history, actually. But, uh, um, and uh, one that, you know, you even find, you know, European commentators and others, you know, commenting on it. There's a, there's a lovely, lovely narrative that I've, I've read, which actually I believe comes from uh, one of the, I think it comes from Xenophon, actually, but uh, Tom, again, you can sort of correct me, uh, where um, a Spartan king goes to visit yeah. Cyrus the Younger, in his in his uh, in his uh, uh, satrapal, his governor's palace in in Sardis, and um, comments very uh, uh, generously about the splendid nature of his garden, and says, you know, you must congratulate your slaves for having you know done so much work. And of course, Cyrus the younger laughs, and rather he says, no, no, you know, I've done this by my own hand. And uh, the Spartan king is rather shocked at this, that he should sully his own hands by getting in in the dirt and all this. But Cyrus says that, this is Cyrus the Younger, I should stress. Uh, Cyrus the Younger says, you know, I always feel it very important that until one has labored with one's own hands, one should not sit down for a meal, you know, and that sort of thing. I mean, it's this sort of idea that let's get out there and let's have a bit of... I, th- you know, I, think, I think it's one of the, yeah, one of the most wonderful, wonderful, wonderful things about, uh, about um, the Persian Empire is the way the kings are portrayed as great gardeners. Yes. That, that, that's mean, the role they play. Yeah, yeah. And I admit that, um, that one of the ways in which Xerxes is encouraged to invade Greece is they say, well, you know, there's some amazing trees and plants there that you won't have, you know, it's kind of like going to, to a, going to a garden centre or something. Yeah. I mean, I'd like yeah. to go and collect some more trees for my garden back in Persepolis. Ali, can I jump in as somebody sure. who's never been to Iran? So I think sure. probably a lot of our listeners won't have been to Iran yeah. either. So my perception, which may be completely and utterly false, sure. is that Iran, you t- Tom talked about as a plateau, is that it's quite a sort of dusty and and hot place so is the paradise the kind of walled garden is that a refuge from the the heat and the is it does it have to be created or am i completely wrong and is persia actually much greener and more verdant well i mean it's it's a good question because of course in the ancient period the argument is is that southern iran was much more verdant than we have today but it's certainly true i think your central point is quite true that it was because of the sparseness of the landscape in some ways that the Iranians uh, developed vast irrigation networks and plans for, you know, water supply. I mean, they were quite skilled at that and therefore developed, I suppose, these walled gardens as a refuge. Now, that's not to say that the plateau itself, I mean, let's not forget, because there is this sort of, you know, how should we say, rather orientalist view of the Middle East as all being deserts and camels. Um, There are deserts in Iran, obviously, but there are also jungles in Iran. I mean, if you go up to the Caspian and the northern areas, it's very verdant. So it's, uh, you know, there's a whole range of different sort of climate types, but certainly in the south. And I think this sort of idea, the the, uh, affection for a garden was precisely as you say it, that, you know, it's a way of harnessing nature to provide a refuge, really, in an otherwise rather sort of bleak landscape in some ways. And those gardens, I mean, I remember going to Esfahan and Mm. going to a garden there. Uh, and and it was kind of quite hot. And you went into the garden and it was cool. Mm. There were fountains. 
um, and the synthesis of the, the the vegetation with the architecture was so breathtakingly beautiful. And again and again, I, I kept going around Iran and thinking, you know, th- th- these places are as beautiful as any I've ever seen. And you can yeah. see why the idea of of that these these walled gardens are the kind of places where God would have walked and talked to man. You can entirely see where it would have come from and how the but you Jews can see also them. this, yeah, this sort of notion of the Garden of Eden. You see, of course, I mean, it, it, it's this idea of a walled garden and 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 a, a paradise on earth, a reflection of that. And and you're quite right. You know, the way it's been designed is to you know bring a measure of uh, comfort, coolness with the water. The water sort of features a very very deliberate. Um, uh, in a in a way to 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 give you that sense of a sort of a little refuge away from the uh, the troubles of the world. So, Ali, should we should we as well as paradise? Should we clock up gardening? Yes, I think so. I think and 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 really the origins of uh, the origins of environmental thinking. I think would be good. Yeah, Dominic, you happy with that? Yeah, I'm very happy with that. I buy that. Yeah, yeah okay, I like okay, it. We'll bang them in. I think that's important. And it's the word um, paradise from a Persian word or a Greek it is, word. Yes, it's a Persian word. Right, and the Greeks then took it. Did they? And then, is that right, Tom? That the Greeks took it, and that's how we get it. Okay, interesting. Go on, Annie. Give us some more. So, uh, I thought we might move uh, to a little bit of leisure and sport now, because uh, that would be quite. Now, I would like to think that the Persians invented (laughs) cricket, but I I have, alas, no evidence uh, of this. (laughs) Um, And there are sort of. Uh, arguments about polo, of course. I mean, polo is a very prominent, you know, because of the sort of the the, the training it gives. But the one well, that ride, I think, that riding horses, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, well, I was going to say they, horses. Horses are a big deal for the Persians, yes, aren't they? Yes, yes, that's right. I mean, the horses are a big deal. But I, I wouldn't want, you know, there are areas where even I won't tread. You know, which is the idea that did the did the Persians uh, invent the stirrup? For instance, I mean, it's a very, very controversial debate. They, I... And uh, yes, I mean, I know Tom would be quite shocked by this. Uh, so would the Franks and also all the, you know, the uh, uh, the Carolingians. However, um, there is a suggestion. There has been a suggestion, but I, I don't want to go there because, as, as Tom's reaction indicates, it would get me into a lot of trouble. However, um, uh, <laughs> no, Ali, I'm, is... I'm, I'm open to all kinds of far-fetched theories. You keep you keep them firing. You see, one of one of one of the one of the great, you know, the Sasanian and the Parthians developed very uh, heavily armoured, uh, mounted what we would term knights. Yes, you know, Dominic would like this. Dominic, you're, yeah. you're a Doctor Who fan, aren't you? Because they look yeah. like Cybermen. They look like Cybermen oh, on horses. Interesting cataphracts. And the argument is: is how did these these heavily armoured knights with their lances, as it happens in many cases, how did they sit upright on their horses? Yeah, I mean, in the sense of they're they're, they're charging. And you see these wonderful sort of uh, freezes in in southern Iran of knights sort of basically jousting with each other. Now the argument is, and I've talked to a number of colleagues about this. They are, oh, but you know, they had these very sort of rigid saddles in which they sat in but you know there's an argument that actually the stirrup came from central asia through into iran and the iranians sort of basically operationalized okay. it so stirrups okay. knights tournaments knights knight chivalry <laughs> i mean chivalry i'd yeah. like to you know okay. let's get into all that i think i think that's quite important i think it's very very underrated in the west because we talk about the chanson de roland and all this sort of stuff and but you know actually the epic poetry knightly courtly love all this sort of stuff i mean there's a okay. lot of this in in persian yeah. epic poetry and i think uh, but in in other things, uh, I think also the the Iranians are, are basically the the uh, founders of backgammon, 
Now, you'll hear people say that Iranians are the founders of chess, and a lot of the terms for chess yeah. come from... Chess Persia. came from India, though, didn't it? And it did come from India. You're absolutely yeah. right, Dominic. And I, I, I want to reveal my magnanimity and real impartiality there. <laughs> You're giving by, Indians by, something. Yeah, by, <laughs> by not claiming chess. I'm sure a lot of my Iranian colleagues will berate me for that. But... Um, I mean, what I would say is the Iranians probably refined the rules and made it workable. But uh, uh, nonetheless, uh, I don't think we can claim that. But backgammon, I think we can claim. Backgammon, we can claim. And in terms of leisure and sort of uh, uh, foodstuffs, I am going to make a bid for spaghetti. Now, spaghetti. Oh, I did not see that coming. Goodness. Well, any Italian listeners out there? (laughs) Well, I mean, the argument is that, uh, you know, Marco Polo never really got to China. And uh, he picked up a lot of these sort of ideas, you know, that these noodles, in a sense, had come during the Mongol Empire, you know, through to Iran. The Iranians refined it, as we always do, by the way, always make things better, by and large. (laughs) And uh, then he took that spaghetti back with him to northern Italy when he returned. Um, So there's an interesting argument. And I'm quite taken by that one. When you say say it's an interesting argument, Mm. are are you saying that this might conceivably be true or are you saying it's true? (laughs) I, I'm saying on spaghetti, it's it's one that I would like to claim. Uh, I think okay. there are strong, there are strong, there are strong, well, I mean, you know, where, where I get into trouble in, where I, is when we start claiming things like hummus and stuff, which we can't because our Lebanese friends get very upset. And uh, so, you know, but spaghetti, I think, you know, there's a pretty strong, there's a strong Ali, argument. Ali, can I take you back for one second from sure. spaghetti back to the Knights? Yeah, sure. Now, I know we're in the middle of your top 10, so I don't want to delay you too long. So uh, yeah. are you able in about one sentence if the Persians were so great and they had the, these fantastic saddles and whatnot, yeah, yeah, yeah. why did they lose to Alexander the Great? Ah, well, uh, there's two things there. Uh, one is, two course, sentences the, only. The, yeah. The, 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 those knights didn't develop till after Alexander the Great, one. Okay. Uh, but two, uh, most of the reason why um, Iranian states collapse is political rather than military, very simply. It's basically okay. divisions of command. You know, they all okay. busy backstabbing each other. I mean, the other thing that we do very well in Iran is decadence. I, I actually didn't have that in the list. But, but, uh, but decadence is, 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 is actually pretty good. I mean, we, That's a great thing to well. be good at, though, yeah. isn't it? That's a, I mean, I mean decadence so, and, I if like I want to, to be known for anything, it's decadence and depravity. Of course, I mean, you know, uh, Gibbon has this wonderful notion about, you know, because they, they struggled to find how to categorize the Persians. You know, they, they didn't want to put them in the category of barbarians. So they said, well, they're civilized, really. They're part of the civilized world. They're and you, you see that a lot in, in 18th century European depictions. But given sort of basically develops this notion that the reason why uh, the Persians aren't doing as well as they might be doing is because actually they've become over-civilized. They've done civilization yes. to the nth degree and therefore yes. become decadent. And I think that's great. I mean, that's that a sort of you know, orientalist argument, isn't it? They're well, a feet and they're yes, drinking it, sherbet and strolling in their paradise gardens. It is, yes, and- it, does, it does. They do that sort of, but, it, but it's also quite a nice idea that, you know, we're so good at civilization. We just overdone it. You're too good. Uh, well, You're too good. Okay. On the topic of being too good at civilization, give us give us some more. We're we're running out of right. time. Right. So, so sorry. Just- so uh, the couple of other things that I would say uh, there's, and this is tied with the cavalry notion, is the high heel, which actually was news to me, but it's quite. That's pretty decadent. So That's the, very so decadent. There's a couple of fashion things that I would say in the 17th century. If you look at the 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 changes in fashion in Europe between the early and the later part of the 17th century, there is this 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 is the point when early modern European travellers were going to Iran much more often and they come back with fashion tips and a number of them. If you see, you know, Charles II and the others, they all wear these rather extravagant high heels. Um, the reason for the high heels was basically to be able to sort of sit comfortably in the saddle with the stirrup you see so you have these sort of boots with heels oh not so not to look taller 
not to look taller interesting enough we thought it was actually you're quite right because we had discussed this about all these you know persians with high heels to look very tall the other one which uh, a fashion item which i think which is uh, uh, i can trace uh, fairly uh, securely to john evelyn's diaries actually in the 17th century is the adoption of the persian coat in the 17th century which was ah. taken in by yes which was absorbed by louis the 14th's court and then of course uh, adopted by other courts in europe and so that's ultimately the jacket the kind of jacket yes, you wear with the suit yes, to this absolutely. day so so, so basically persian uh, yes. For a jacket with lapels. Yeah. So that, that is claimed to be the Persian coat. So the Persians have invented the suit. I'm sure my, I'm sure my, well, I mean, I've, the trouser, the trouser is a Persian item of clothing. Yes, of course. I mean, the Greeks, the Greeks find that hilarious, don't they? I mean, look at those yeah. Romans in their, you know, lovely outfits, you know, very impressive. But that's the, that's the brilliant thing about the Greeks, isn't it? That they thought the Persians were hilariously effeminate because they wore trousers yeah. rather than skirts. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's quite, it's quite interesting. So the, these sort of items of clothing that obviously the Europeans have taken and made into their own. Frankly, I think you should be very grateful. For so them. do you, Ali, when you, when you walk down the street in St. Andrews and you mm. see people wearing coats and trousers, do you feel sort of triggered by their cultural appropriation <laughs> of your... Oh, and, you know, as I said, I think the Persians are very giving people. And uh, we, 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 you know, we think great. You know, I, I just, I, I just think that, you know, it'd be nicer if they showed a bit more gratitude, really. Okay. Well, that's, that's very it. magnanimous of you. So, yeah, Ali, yeah. Ali, did, did you ever watch Goodness Gracious Me? The, um, I the sketch show. I didn't. Well, there was a, there was a sketch with the, uh, there was a kind of Indian father uh, talk to his son and everything's Indian. Mm. So anything that comes on the telly or anything, it's always Indian. Um, and on the, we've talked about India in relation to chess. Could I float another topic perhaps to add to the top 10 mm. which is the british raj ah the the, yeah. the the british raj is actually hugely persian because one of the thing one of the things that I, when i was um uh researching for persian fire the book i wrote about the persian wars with greece good plug very good came plug. across it <laughs> that one in very very delicately Excellent. um was uh, reading about lord curzon Yes. who went on a trip yes. to Persia That's right. and went to Persepolis, admired yeah. it hugely. And left and his he, graffiti course, on there. Yes, he left yes, his mark. As, yes, as, as Grand British as Lord tends to did, do. Yeah. 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 And, and in due course, he then became um, Viceroy of India yeah. and was a tr- tremendous enthusiast for kind of Persian-style flum- court flummery. Um, so do you think there's a case for saying that actually, um, you know, the British like to think that they were, you know, they were all learning Greek in their boarding schools and things, but actually the, the British in India were much more Persian than they were Greek. Uh, and yes, and I'm, I'm, I'm very, very pleased you said that actually, Tom, because there's a couple of things I will, uh, I will outline here on, on, on the, uh, on the contribution of British India, which basically, uh, as you quite rightly say, um, they take over the administration from the Mughal empire, the Mughal empire, the administration of the Mughal Empire is basically based on Persian models. And it's actually the language is Persian. If you go out in the Indian civil service, at least till 1857, you have to learn Persian. Persian is the language of administration. It's very striking, actually. And it, you know, it hints also as to why Britain and Iran have such an interesting relationship, I should say, because in many ways, Britain was in, in charge for a hundred years or so of at least one half of the Persian world, if I can put it that way. Now we, we derive a lot of things and I would like to make a claim that you, you, you've, you've tipped me off here. I'm afraid and I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to go for it now. Uh, I'm go going to Ali. say that the modern civil service as derived from the Indian civil service is really borrowed a lot of its, its, its ideas and attitudes from the old traditional Persian 
uh, administration. And uh, one of my favorite terms in all this is the idea of PERDA. You know, when we go in, in politics, the civil circle of PERDA. Well, PERDA is really a Persian word, PARDE, which means curtain. Okay, and or the veil. So basically, in when when elections start, the civil service goes behind the veil. Uh, it goes into Perda, and this is a term directly derived, obviously, from the experience in in British India and the Persian world. So. I, I would agree with you. I mean, I think there's a strong case to be made that uh, many of these ideas of the civil service and its administration that they developed as part of the East India Company, obviously, and then driven in and derived in the 19th century into the British civil service. You know, I think there's a case to be made there as well. I mean, I, I, I particularly given my current role. So the British civil service is is Persian as well. Well, it's got it's got deep roots there. I think. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the Persian <laughs> vizierate is 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 pretty clear. I mean, there's strong humanist tradition. So, Tom, it's pretty clear now why they lost to Alexander the Great, right? I mean, there are a lot of bureaucrats, <laughs> bureaucrats yeah, there's, there's, eating there's spaghetti gardens. in gardens with the high heels. There's a, there's a, there's a, well, I mean, I, well, as Ali said, decadent. That's a rather scathing way to look at it. I, mean, I, I, I just think that, you know, the Persians were thinking, oh, my God, here come these Western barbarians. I mean, what the hell are we going to do? Let's yeah. make them Persian. I mean, that's what they yes. did. And, they it, and it kind of worked. So, Ali, we've almost, I think we've, we've, uh, we've almost run out. And of course, oh, time is, yeah. is a Persian time, idea as well, time, isn't yeah, it? Unfortunately, yeah, time. it's beginning and end. That's a very Persian idea. But since idea. we invented time, we should be able to make it more flexible, surely. I mean, we have, we have <laughs> some prior, uh, you know, we, 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 I didn't mention science, which I'm sorry to say is, but there are elements of science and astronomy that would be quite important. But, uh, you know, there you are. I think you've had gardening in high heels. You don't need science as well. That's. <laughs> overreaching there but is there any any last addition to that list before we before we reach the end times um i i as i said i would only say things like you know element algebra you know I yeah mean, okay yeah is algebra okay, well, persian rather than arabic yes yes because i mean the chap it was really persian i mean that's not you know i mean he might have written in, <laughs> he, he might have written in arabic but that's that's right that doesn't that's sound immensely convincing to me but uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll let it go <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Well, Ali, um, thank you. Thank, thank you so you. much. Um, that's fantastic. Uh, I think you've conclusively proved to everyone's satisfaction that yeah. everything is Persian. Um, and on that note, what else is there to say except thank you very much? Thank you, Ali. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Rest is History. For bonus episodes, early access ad-free listening, and access to our chat community, please sign up at restishistorypod.com. That's restishistorypod.com.